0: Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Captain. If I'm the, well, you're a co-captain. Co-captain, does that work? Is that a thing, co-captain? I mean, it was on Star Trek Voyager, which I liked.
1: Yeah, but you can't use Voyager as a reference, I think. (laughs) Oh, Um, I thought it
0: was a documentary. Somebody told me it was a
1: documentary. (laughs) It's definitely non-canon
0: yeah (laughs) exactly
1: no it's probably so it's probably more like um pacific rim where you have the two pilots of -hmm. the giant Mm -hmm. robot that have to work together yeah yeah
0: cool um robot (laughs) robo captain left robo captain right (laughs) um so uh how's your week are you getting ready for Thanksgiving? Oh,
1: I am getting ready for Thanksgiving, which is a very big deal in our household. Oh, so yeah. preparations begin weeks before.
0: Wow! Do you have a lot of people over?
1: No, we won't have all that many people, but uh, uh, but we have a number of uh, rituals we must follow, um, and pies that must be baked. Ooh, that sounds fun! Mm. Uh, are any
0: of these rituals ancient? Any of these rituals ancient Babylonian? A source, uh, uh, origin the, like uh, what's what's your the, holiday have, <laughs> holiday party is the
1: uh, Zagmuk Zagmuk yes mm-hmm. which will be in middle of December this year. So. All right, looking forward to it. But mm-hmm. your
0: rituals pre Thanksgiving are they of any? Uh,
1: no, they're they're mostly culinary. Cul- uh, oh, that's good, the best
0: kind. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. I worship the fork and the
1: knife. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You know, you prepare the bird for sacrifice and so on. Ooh, delicious. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so, uh, as I was mentioning, uh, when we were chatting, when we had our secret planning session in the, uh, hall of planning before we enter yep, the- our recording chambers, mm-hmm. um, and the flag goes up to symbolize our beginning recording, um, across mm-hmm. the land. Um, I said, uh, I was thinking of how uh, math, uh, let me clarify this, uh, let, me, um, let me quantify this, it makes no sense, but it's a math word, uh, <laughs> and there we go. So, math is not, I am no math expert whatsoever. I, I was, in fact, I think probably among the number one reasons, because the, there were several number one reasons, again this is how good I am at math um, for me leaving science where that I, I just couldn't get thrilled about the math I, um, mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And, um, but, you know, as time, well, I knew it even in studying uh, physics and astronomy and engineering um, then, And but I've learned it better now as you do when you don't have to learn yep. it. Um, exactly. And over time that, uh, you know, math is, that there's a great mystery even among mathematicians and physicists. Um, Mm -hmm. I suppose maybe Einstein had commented on this here and there, um, that math... uh, I um, promised to finish a sentence sometime this morning, but (laughs) (laughs) um, when I was working on the Einstein documentary, I went and uh, sat in on classes of different physicists who, who might, you know, I was looking for people who might be good on camera, and good teachers. Mm. And uh, I found Clifford Johnson, the amazing Clifford Johnson. Oh, of great. The Asymptosha yeah. blog. Look it up. Mm. Um, see if Siri can spell that. Uh, if she can. <laughs> That'll be a <laughs> a Go to Google. Yeah. That would be a great Siri versus Google mm-hmm. challenge. Anyway, I went and I sat in uh, Clifford's classroom. He's a physicist, a theoretical physicist. But he was t- I think he was teaching a, um, a class on the Schwarzschild radius and the distance at which you will no longer be able to escape a black hole. Anyway, mm-hmm. he wrote all these equations on the board, and my co-producer was sitting next to me, and he really didn't have a science background at all. And he was just totally mystified by this, and, you know, probably even a little bit bored. And as I am, as for the reason, one of the reasons I love doing this show, I wanted to keep him engaged and excited and show mm-hmm. him why this was really cool. And I, it just struck me, this is such a cliche, but it just came to my mind. I was like, those are the rules for the universe, There it is,
1: you know. Uh, Yeah, that's right. And so the weird thing is that the rules for the universe are apparently written in mathematics. And uh, uh, so this is, um, we're so used to that being our scientific framework now that it's hard to imagine it could be otherwise. But that's what we do here. Right. So, You know, Galileo famously said that laws of nature are written in mathematics, um, Mm -hmm. and one must be a mathematician to to understand the universe. But he had to say that because that was a controversial idea in the 1600s, right? right? So, for most of civilization, it was not clear that mathematics was a useful way to think about the universe. What did they think math was? Well, so it depends who you ask. Um, So if you asked Aristotle, he'd say math is useful for solving like practical problems, like building a house, right? Right. Um, But he says that uh, it's clear that the true nature of things can't be illuminated by mathematics. So for instance, if you wanted to understand uh, a tree, like the nature of treeness, you wouldn't think that counting the leaves on the tree – would get you there. Right. right. says so that's clearly not the essence of treeness. What would that even, okay. the nature of treeness, right? So something that... Well, so it, it says, what What does it mean to be a tree? And for right. Aristotle, it would be um, an acorn turns into a tree, and that that is the nature of treeness, is to go from, uh, is to fulfill your potential of becoming a tree. Uh, okay.
0: So in other yeah, words, if, you, if you have the again. acorn, you have everything you need to know, or to make a tree.
1: Well, if you understand what the final state of the acorn is, right. that's, okay. that's what's important to know. Okay. Right. Um, so, so, math, so, math is useful for, like I said, practical purposes, um, tangible things, but not so useful for understanding the, the metaphysics of, of nature. Right. Um, and then on the other end, you've got uh, the Pythagoreans, right? Um right. Who who did think that mathematics provided some some insight into reality, uh, but there's this notion that uh, the mathematics is sort of um, uh, hidden behind reality. Right? You have to you have to kind of penetrate it. Right. Um, Math is hidden behind reality. Uh huh. That's a great image. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, so the Pythagoreans' metaphor is, is uh, so when they wanted to talk about what it means to have mathematics organizing the world, their metaphor is music. So say in the same way that music provides, or music is about patterns and repetition and harmonies, that if you can find those harmonies in the world, right. then you've found the true kind of nature of things. Right. Um, and this is, uh, so I should say this, the linking between mathematics and music sometimes seems weird to us today, but that actually used to be a fundamental um, a fundamental category that is, uh, music was a subset of mathematics. Right.
0: Now, music, uh, music is obviously part of mathematics. Now, is that what you're saying? Or that was no, no. I was that- saying
1: that's, that's um, not uh, uh, most musicians nowadays would not claim to also be mathematicians. Oh, uh-huh. Right. Right. But a few hundred years ago, so for instance, Galileo's father was a musician, and that's why Galileo first learned math.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, that's fascinating. So, in a right. way, music was humanity's gateway to math. Oh, yes. <laughs> right? Um,
1: yeah, they would probably have thought of it the other way around. Uh, that is, uh, music might lure mathematicians to humanities, but, uh, but yes, that's the, to the kind the of humanities. bridging. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I guess I mean in, ter- in terms of understanding.
1: Right, like they they were like, we
0: want to. This music thing is amazing. We want to understand it because it's something we make, Mm -hmm. and um, so we need to know the rules
1: of it in a way, and that led them to discover. And the rules are mathematical. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. So, but the Pythagoreans um, are, you know, secretive weirdos for a couple (laughs) of thousand years, right? I mean, they're they're literally a cult. Right? They're these secret, they've got, they think they have the secrets of nature, but you know, they had robes and initiation rituals and uh, were not very important in sort of the overall uh, sort of flow of thought for a couple of thousand years. And then in the late Renaissance, you get uh, the Neo-Pythagoreans, um, people like, amongst others, Copernicus who, 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 so because Pythagoras, Pythagoras's writings, and I should say, we actually don't have any writings from Pythagoras. We have writings from people who say they wrote down what he said, but oh, we just, actually so don't. Just to give,
0: and just to give people an image, Pythagoras, ancient Greek guy, probably wearing a white robe.
1: Uh, yeah, it's probably a little dirty around the bottom, you know, from dust in the Agora.
0: <laughs> the Agora being the town square. Mm hmm. And, uh, he would off, probably have students around him if he was teaching, right? Then yep, they sort right. of roam
1: around uh, teaching, and uh, yeah, they just wander and chat, as it were. Yeah, great, mm-hmm. great. Um, so there's no formal, like um, uh, you know, no formal rules to Pythagoreanism or anything like that, right? It's it's, it's badly defined. Mm set of ideas and like there's a weird kind of cultic practice um and generally cults are happy to be small so that's not but a big it's a deal cult a based time. around math it's a cult based around math yep and specifically awesome. the idea that <laughs> that math <laughs> is is hidden in the world um so they're the ones who talk about things like uh, the harmony of the spheres meaning that's uh, uh the motion of the planets around mm. Uh, around either the Earth or the Sun, depending on who you're talking to, um, has this kind of rhythmic pattern that you find in music. So the idea is that you could literally listen to the spheres if you got if you did it right.
0: Whoa! How um, would you listen to the?
1: Well, I should say so. You mean partially you could
0: recreate the rhythm with some uh, musical instrument? Um,
1: or- so well, this is an interesting thing. So Kepler, uh, the famous astronomer, uh, contemporary of Galileo's. Um, takes this idea very literally and he says, all right, I've got these fantastic tables for planetary motion. Let's actually translate them into music that can be played. So he says, I uh, says, all right, so the period of each planet, that is how long it takes to go around the sun is the base note. And then the, right, so, so, e- the
0: just, so the period, again, I'm, I'm slow here. So the period, no, uh, the, um, how long it takes a planet to go around the sun. Yeah. So for us, one year. Right. So, so once Mercury a year, goes, uh, hitting, hitting the bass drum once a year.
1: Uh, yes, but it's more like, um, uh, think of the length of a string on a guitar. Oh, okay. Yep. So Mercury goes around the sun fast. So it has a very high bass note. And then Saturn uh, takes a long time. So it has a very low bass note. Um, and wow. then depending on how elliptical the orbits are, the, that's how much the, the sound of the planet varies as it goes around the sun oh. during the year. This is a string so, theory
0: I can get behind.
1: <laughs> this might be the one. So, uh, for instance, um, Venus it has very little um, ellipticity to its orbit it's very round so mm-hmm. it's so its note is just mmm or whatever right. uh, whereas uh, Mars is has quite a bit of uh, ellipticity so it goes up and down mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and then so you'll so ellip- actually ellipticity
0: meaning um, so we say Venus the Venus's orbit is a circle and mm-hmm. the closest to a circle let's say Yep. A perfect circle. And Mars has an elliptical orbit, meaning it's more like egg-shaped or more oval.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a squashed circle. Before. Right.
0: And so the note goes up, let's say, as the idea being that as it gets closer to the sun, it goes up. And then as it gets farther away, the note goes down. And that gives you yep. the ring. Okay.
1: So okay. Kepler so Kepler actually writes out, the, as it were, the musical score of the universe. Oh. Uh. Really? Um, yeah. And there, it so happens that the, I should say, I know nothing about music. So this right. is not my, <laughs> so right. I can't like replicate it. Um, but we but can I, see I, this I, on paper somewhere? Yeah. You can see it on paper and hear it. So I'll bet if you do some Googling, somebody has made an electronic version of these sounds. Right. Um, and then you, so you can say, you know, this is the sound of Saturn. And. Uh play it and then you say this is the sound of Saturn and Jupiter and after you put all the planets together then you have the full sort of harmony of the spheres Um, and I don't think it's a very interesting thing to listen to you know it sounds like uh, (laughs) early 80s experimental synthesizer music or something. But
0: but what's interesting is it sounds like were they um, for for instance a mathematician and certainly a modern mathematician I'm guessing mm -hmm. would uh, be able to look at these Pe- periods, they would call them, right? And and say, um, okay, the they wouldn't need to make the sounds. They they would just look at those numbers. But maybe they maybe they would look at a graph um, of the, of mm-hmm. these. Um, probably it would look like w- waves. Oh like uh, yeah,
1: yeah. You could just graph it. So.
0: And and a mathematician would look at that. And the idea would be that maybe they're looking or or a physicist. Uh, perhaps a theoretical physicist would look at this, look at the rhythms, and try to figure out if whatever they could from this information.
1: Right. Yes. And essentially, what uh, that's what um, Newton does. Uh, so right. he, t- he so he takes these these periodicities that Kepler discovers, and then writes a new set of laws that explain why those periodicities exist.
0: Right. Meaning
1: basically the farther away from the sun they are, the slower it moves. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, Um, Yeah. So, but I want to, you know, we can't, uh, we can't uh, overemphasize this, this significance of people like Kepler and Galileo and other Neo-Pythagoreans deciding that uh, mathematics is the language of nature because that, if you, if you think that, then you ask different questions about reality and how it behaves and you look for different <sighs> kinds of questions right? right so that's what you know newton calls his book uh principia Mathematica, right? mathematical principles of natural philosophy right. and that seems totally no big deal to us today but was a radical title at the time right the idea <sighs> that nature should be explained through mathematics um and that's really i think if if you want to think about kind of the argument of newton's great book it's that it's an argument that mathematics is a useful way for understanding nature, and you can do these amazing things with it.
0: Wow, wow. And of course, it has religious implications uh, if
1: you take yep. it that far. Yeah, no, well, no, yeah. and these then you've the gone rules. as a mathematician and so on. Yeah.
0: Uh-huh, uh uh-huh. mm-hmm. um, What I find fascinating, though, about the music is that... Uh, uh, but, but, Tell me I mean did did playing it as music was that just sort of like a weird side funny thing for them or was it actually their way to try to use the body you know and the mind mm. in, in the way it reacts to music to feel patterns like in a, in a way that mm. almost like For instance, today, visualization is a big thing today with big data, right? right? Mm -hmm. And how do you take enormous amounts of data or capture as much information as you can about how a complex system is operating and visualize it so that you can start to see how it works or figure out how it works? You can Mm -hmm. see relationships in it that may, from the outside, might just look like chaos, but right. through the visualizations, you know, um, being able to look on a computer and turn it all around in 3D or even go with virtual reality. Now you could go inside the data, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, an explore. image or mathematical graphs or whatever, um, and uh, feel out something like you might notice certain relationships simply from your subconscious. Re- your brain can maybe take in more information than, than you can. Um, mm-hmm consciously so were they doing were they playing were they saying hey let's play the music and see if that tells us something or was it like hey this is fun
1: um so for I think for the early Pythagoreans and I should say we really don't know much about them so a lot of this is supposition right. um, the playing of music would essentially be like communing with the divine <sighs> and so as uh, so as you say it's this direct bodily connection with uh, the true nature of the universe and the way, you know, the way the gods talk to each other sort of thing. Well, Um, the way the gods talk to each other, that's super cool.
0: (laughs) And so in their uh, mind, it was like Zeus and Aphrodite and stuff. Were they thinking that Zeus? Well,
1: uh, yeah, that's right. So the Pythagoreans, again, this is one of these things that we're not really sure about is whether they, uh, what they thought of, uh, whether they thought about um, discrete personalized gods like uh, Zeus and Hera, um, or if they just had this kind of pantheistic, notion. Right. Um, so it's complicated, I guess. Um, and the, yeah, so then by, um, by the time of people like Galileo and Newton, that's, uh, the, the center of gravity shifts to the mathematical side. So, um, you would not be expected to have that kind of participatory element in the music. Mm. So I'm sure Newton could have explained all of the relevant mathematics for the music of the day, but right. he wasn't particularly interested in that. So so the math becomes its own thing, becomes separated out. Right, right.
0: And 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 to jump to the present, uh, I think we still don't know where math c- comes from. Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: Is that right? Or
0: like, why uh, well, is
1: it? That's right. So there's... um. Uh, This is a, I don't know, a project at least 100 years old or so. Mm -hmm. So, um, these two uh, mathematician philosophers, um, Bertrand Russell uh, and Alfred Whitehead, decide to try and essentially try to answer that question. They say, can we start with the most basic of principles um, and derive mathematics. So the the goal then would be to to show that mathematics has to be this way, that is there's no mm. there's no other possibility and then the, the 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 end goal is to say I've I've explained mathematics because this is the only kind of universe we can have the only kind oh, of mathematics oh. we can have. Right. So that was the goal. Um, and it turns out to not uh, work. That is, it's one of the great failures in the, the history of thought. So they published volume one and then as they're writing volume two, they decide that Bertrand Russell particularly freaks out over right. this particular paradox that he encounters, um, which which I should say sounds very innocuous. It's called the, the Barber paradox. <clears throat> um, and so- I did not see that coming. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> no, nobody does. That, that's why barbers are really dangerous. I was you fixated on, on you, the fact the the that.
0: Yeah. Oh, sorry. I, I was fixated on the fact that some of the most brilliant people of all time um, had a tremendous failure. <laughs> yep, <laughs> and, um, and left it at that, and and then th- maybe then they went to the barber or. <laughs> no, no. So, um,
1: so I should say the the kind of principles they wanted to start from are sort of very basic things like non contradiction. Right, so if you say uh, A cannot also be not A, what what other truths can you derive from that? Okay, uh, and this is it. Turns out that one of the tools for doing that kind of thinking is what nowadays we call set theory. So, Mm -hmm. so then you, once you get like non-contradiction, you can do things like, all right, so I've got a set of all A's and a set of all B's uh, and do the, are there rules about whether A and B can overlap? So this sounds incredibly dull if you don't do set theory, but it turns out it's powerful. So for instance, you can prove addition using this kind of thinking.
0: If if I jump to the extreme simplification of this, it's Mm kind of like they found the, the, the building blocks of logic. That is precisely what they were looking for. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, if um, this is it. And, and I, here's the thing. For, I bet half, maybe even more of our audience, as well as 50% or more of my brain, uh, <laughs> is like, what the, what the, instead of what the if, it's like, WT, <laughs> what is going on here? Because it's a hard thing to wrap your mind around that, here's what it comes down to. The things that seem obvious math exists right mm-hmm. and one plus yep. one is two that just seems obvious most people are not going to say why it's obvious right. it's just what right. we call it. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> and, it that's right yeah and and but these people occasionally throughout history brilliant minds have said why is that Exactly. They're.
1: They're, they, they refuse to accept that just as a given. They're like, I want a better explanation than that's just the way it is. Uh, and sometimes extraordinary things come from that. And sometimes you get extraordinary failures like Russell and Whitehead. Um, oh, so the Barber paradox. So this is actually interesting as an example of something that seems obvious, but was crippling to certain kinds of mathematicians. So the barber paradox is a particular um exploration with this set theory, so sort of groups of things and how they might overlap. And so it says if you take the the principle that the barber shaves everyone in the town fine. All right. And and then he's got a monopoly. That's uh, right. And then you say, but who shaves the barber? Oh, who watches the watchers? Exactly. So you might say I don't care or <laughs> or it's or he shaves himself or something but it turns out that you he's can't bald. that's right yeah, that's right <laughs> but it turns out you can't give a crisp logical resolution to this paradox um, and Russell needed to be able to do that to go on with the building blocks of logic
0: so, so let me just uh, be clear yeah. now, the barber <laughs> shaving himself or cutting his own hair um, is not acceptable that's not acceptable okay Nobody, or rather. So, so one you, of the rules of uh, rules mm-hmm. of this world, of this puzzle is, um, or this riddle, in a way, uh, is mm-hmm. that no one can shave themselves.
1: Yeah. Well, I should say more clearly. You can't logically prove whether the barber shaves himself, and mm. I can't do the the derivation of this off the top of my head. Right. Um, so you can. I'll have to take my word for it, right. um, but the fact that you can't have a you can't have a clean decision about given whether that we the both have themselves. beards right. and somewhat long hair. That's right. We're not experts on shaving. We clearly
0: no. <laughs> are not either the barber or a customer of the barber. <laughs>
1: That's right. um, so, but so so one might say well, you, you can imagine that people would react to Russell's failure with the idea that maybe nature doesn't run on mathematics after all, right? Maybe this is, this is the first chink in the armor of a mathematized nature. But actually, no, it doesn't really stop the physicists from doing it. And Einstein is working right around the same time as this. So he's not dissuaded at all. So in that sense, maybe Einstein is more Pythagorean uh, than Russell was in that Einstein just had this deep-seated feel that mathematics was the correct way to understand the universe. yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and he had this, this, he just, this is his own terms, uh, Einstein said he had this kind of religious awe at the fact that the universe could be described in mathematical terms, um, mm-hmm. that you could write down one equation and say, that's the universe. Um, and he said, to, so when people asked him, Professor Einstein, do you believe in God? He said, well, I believe, uh, I don't believe in a personal God, but this is what I mean by religion. It's that. I, I can see these incredible patterns in nature. So the what the if this week mm-hmm.
0: is what the if I could grasp this. <laughs> <laughs> or not grasp you know, um visualize. I guess a, a visualization is helpful for me, maybe why I went into mm-hmm. movies. Um uh, Einstein So let's say it again. And and I do I do love this. I will say to the listeners that um those of you who don't who aren't scientists or mathematicians or have not practiced in these fields and are just totally casual uh fans and observers um of the uh, the whole deal um this This is the kind of concept that really is like upper level kind of stuff like we kind of get into it's mm-hmm. metaphysics i don't well know.
1: it's this is this is the uh, people will have fights about what you should call this. So, for instance, <laughs> yeah. Bertrand Russell starts his career as a mathematician and ends his career as a philosopher, even though he's working on the same oh. problems the whole time. So, there's the sense in which the fields kind of shift. Um, so, many mathematicians would be very angry if you called them philosophers, if you said they were doing metaphysics. Right,
0: right. right. So, okay, um, so we'll scratch that. Uh, scratch that from the record. <laughs> I just shouted to I should say that. I have no problem with it. But okay, they would, okay, yeah. right. Um, uh, the tribunal mm-hmm. is against it. Um, Einstein felt that Einstein was amazed. This is yeah. not something and we talk a lot of, we, when we talk about Einstein. We don't talk about this very much.
1: Amazement, yeah.
0: That he was am, well amazed, inspired, um, moved, mm-hmm. overwhelmed yeah. by the thought that mathematics. So there's, there's kind of two levels to it. One, mathematics can explain the universe. That's mm-hmm. kind of easy to get, okay. I guess, right? Oh, okay. Well, he, could, he used math to mm-hmm. figure things out. So that makes sense. Yeah. But the bigger thing was simply, and we'll, we'll, we'll sort of start to wrap up here, that why is there something we can figure out?
1: That's right. Yep, that's right. Because that, those are the two important parts that are not necessarily linked, right? So you can imagine that the universe runs on mathematics, but we have no access to that. And then this, so the second part is that we can understand the mathematics on which the universe runs. And I think that was really the part that gobsmacked Einstein uh, was to say that we can, we can do that. Right, we we have some ability to understand the the deeper truths of reality.
0: He didn't turn that around and do what we non Einsteins do is say, mm-hmm. well, no, it's amazing that you. Yeah, it is amazing you could figure it out. Whereas, <laughs> is, is he then taking some? Is it like a humility thing where he's saying, "Wow, if I could figure it out,"
1: <laughs> uh, I um, saying- it's a humility thing in the sense that. uh it shows you how you're small before the universe right mm-hmm. and and the fact mm-hmm. that you you this little dust speck with self-awareness can understand the universe in toto via mathematics he says that's an amazing thing
0: right by so if you want to know how the universe works you can say even if i haven't yet figured out all the math mm-hmm. that explains the all the processes of the universe that are happening now have happened in the past and will happen in the future. Even if I haven't Mm -hmm. figured out what those equations are for this or that. um, Einstein and and others, you know, who understand this are saying, well, yeah, but it's in the math.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. It will be in the form of mathematics, right? Right. So, you know, when we talk about, uh, you know, a final theory or unified field theory, we expect it will be an equation, right? So it could be that, the, the final explanation for the universe is a haiku. Right. I mean, that's, you could, uh, that's, that's possible. Right. Right. Uh, but it's an article of faith among physicists that the correct way to, that the, the, the final answer about the universe will be an equation. Right? right. Um, and this was kind of, you know, the joke back in Hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy that the, the answer to the universe is 42. Um, and it's uh, it, it's that it's that sudden turn where you're like, but that's not you know that's not the form I expect my answer about the universe to be. So what do I do with that? Um, and that would be so that would be great, right? You know they they build a superconducting super collider, and out of it comes a haiku. Well,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> all
0: right. There, there is this is a cliffhanger. This is going to be a two-parter. This is going to be a two-parter. <laughs> Part one, we just got to the what the if for next week, which is that the superconducting supercollider, or the Large mm-hmm. Hadron Collider, the one with the countries that actually, countries that yeah. actually had the willpower to build something, um, mm-hmm. yes, spits out a haiku somehow. I don't yeah. even know if they have a character, you know, if they have alphabetic
1: well, uh, this is this is an important part of the what if. <laughs> this is exactly how that information would come out. All right. Well, this is exciting. This, this is, is our first two-parter, right? Two-parter. Um,
0: very excited. It's a Thanksgiving special. Thanks. Yes, that's right. For those of us in the United States, we are celebrating Thanksgiving. I think uh,
1: for those of you in
0: Canada, maybe you celebrate it on a different day. I don't uh, know. Yeah, like,
1: they do it back in October.
0: Uh, see, I'm American, so I don't need it. But, mm-hmm. you know. um, so happy, happy, uh, I'm sorry, belated happy Thanksgiving to our Canadian neighbors. Um, but Thanksgiving is coming up, so we're very excited. We hope everyone out there is uh, having fun getting ready. If you get together with your family or you just go out. Um, with by yourself or with some friends that's awesome too we, uh, we have a tradition here where uh, we just go out for Polish food because we live in a Polish neighborhood oh, all right. and pierogies and uh, blintzes it's awesome it um, doesn't put you to sleep quite as fast as a turkey does to our listeners real fast go to mm. iTunes you hear me say this every week. If you keep listening, by the way, if you've if you've heard <laughs> if this is repetitious to you and you've heard it enough times, then um, uh, asking very graciously, go to iTunes. You know what I'm going to say, and uh, just leave us a rating, um, five stars. You can just click five stars. That's it. If you can write a review, actually, click some you know put some words in. That's awesome too. We love it, and uh, we'll absolutely give you a shout out on the show. And uh, you can email us feedback at whattheif.com feedback at whattheif.com we don't know what the haiku is going to do to the world after Thanksgiving for now be thankful for equations I mean (laughs) those things that you're like ah you run away from that is kind of important that's everything if you wipe those away you disappear
1: too whoa alright sounds good
0: All right, sir talk to you next week